Colin Kaepernick, a quarterback who plays for the San Francisco 49ers, refuses to stand during the national anthem. And he has said this, I am not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. Just four years ago, Kaepernick was on the rise as one of the youngest, hottest quarterbacks in the NFL, taking the 49ers all the way to the Super Bowl. The last couple of seasons, he's dealt with injury, but this season he has reemerged, not as a superstar, not even as a starter, but as a protester who's trying to make a difference. Trent Dilfer, an, an analyst in the NFL who once won a Super Bowl, said this about Kaepernick. No matter how passionate you are, no matter how much of a burden you have for social issues, you don't let it get in the way of the team. Now, the NFL released a statement that players are encouraged, but they're not required to stand during the playing of the national anthem. On one side of the spectrum, you have critics that are calling Kaepernick a traitor, burning his jersey. On the other, other side of the spectrum, you have supporters holding up Kaepernick as a martyr. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about patriotism and protest, the theology of protest and the tension that deals with patriotism. This is a very relevant issue. This is something that is um, tough to talk about. It's complicated. Uh, there are people across uh, the spectrum here with different um, ideas of, uh, the, of a time and a place and what's appropriate and what's not. So I ask you to respectfully listen to this episode, really think about it, and hopefully uh, at the end of the episode, you'll come up with something yourself. So you can email me at ryan at brewtheology.org. You can make a comment. Go to our Facebook page, Instagram, or Twitter, Twitter's brew underscore theology, and the rest of the handles are simply at brewtheology. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Podbean, and Pocket Casts. If you'd like a Brew Theology t-shirt, some swag, maybe a sweatshirt, uh, we have some new ones right now, and you can go to the website, www.teespring.com slash brewtheology. Enjoy the episode, friends, and don't forget, share that hopalicious brew. Peace. My name's Ryan. Grew up Southern Baptist Evangelical. 18 years ago, I quit being that, became more moderate evangelical, have gleaned some traditions over the years from the Anabaptist, Methodist, Jewish, and Pentecostal traditions, and so now I am an evolving Anabaptist Methodocostal follower of Jesus. My name's Dan <laughs> Rosado. I'm Puerto Rican. I grew up in the Pentecostal, charismatic evangelical world, mostly grew up in the South, and when I moved to Colorado, it's not until college that I dabbled in Calvinism. And I will say again, always a mistake. Uh, learned from Eastern Orthodox Christianity and find myself today still calling myself a Christian, influenced by process philosophy and Eastern religions, namely Buddhism. My name is Janelle, and I'm emerging out of the Church of the Nazarene, a conservative holiness denomination. I was born and raised there and served in ministry there for 20 years, moved to Colorado and uh, realized there was a much bigger tent out there. So now I label myself a progressive Christian and still lead a house church in my home. 
My name is John. I grew up Southern Baptist. Uh, shifted over to agnostic during college. Uh, currently am an atheist. Um, and, you know, just, just, just slightly out of the norm, but that's, Ryan, that's a mouthful. What exactly are you again? I am an evolving Anabaptist Method Eucostal follower of Jesus. What, what does that mean? I'm going to throw another one in within oh the next God. year. <laughs> okay. And Dan is hoping it's process. <laughs> Anabaptist plus Methodist plus Pentecostal plus Jewish. Right? Yeah. Did I forget one? Yeah. My Baptist roots, I, st- I love the Anabaptist tradition. But we're not here to talk about my roots. We're here to talk about <laughs> patriotism and protest Absolutely. today. So here's the context. Colin, Colin Kaepernick, quarterback, uh, in the San Francisco 49ers organization, decided during a pregame not to stand for the national anthem. And this is what he said. He said, I'm not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. More context behind that. Um, he's doing this for Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, Trayvon Martin, Freddie Gray, Walter Scott, Michael Brown, Alton Sterling, and most recently, Terrence Crutcher. So the stats do speak for themselves that uh, last year, 2015, the police in America, they killed at least 102 unarmed black people, which, by the way, is five times the rate of unarmed white people killed by cops. And only one of the 102 officers saw jail time, which was only a one-year sentence, and that was Deputy Bates who killed Eric Harris. All right, so uh, here we go. Football. I I love the football. I love the NFL. Some of you could care less. Colin Kaepernick doesn't have to be a star. Maybe that's a, that could be a part of this, whether he's a star or not, because he's not like a, a Peyton Manning or a Tom Brady. Uh, he he might have, at one point in his career, could have gone that way, but he's not. He's a backup quarterback. But still, he is a person of multiracial background. Uh, he's adopted by white parents, and that's part of this conversation as well that's been going on. And we're going to admit right now that everybody... In, around this table, uh, none of us is, we're not black, and but we do have a microphone and we're going to speak to something that's relevant and something that we think is uh, is critical in our country and in our city in Denver. And so uh, some critics are livid, right? They're, um, they're pissed. And, I mean, we've got people who are in the NFL right now, black and white, by the way, who are railing against him, others in the NFL who are kneeling with Kaepernick or, or supporting him, maybe not by kneeling, but by just saying, you're doing a good job. So what, do, what about you? I mean, what do y'all think? Do you think that Kaepernick's decision and these rippling effects, which is now uh, in high school football, college football, is, um, is, this, is this good? Was that a wise decision due to his position as a player? Does this take away from the team and his role in the team? It's very complicated. It's... Uh, very multi-layered, but what do you think about Kaepernick's decision that now has played itself out amongst all kinds of teams and players in the country? So I watch football maybe once a month. I don't watch football too much, but I have seen a lot of the backlash and the conversations going on, at least in social media, and I find it interesting that there's more outrage toward Colin Kaepernick's stance during the National Anthem, which is not law, 
or anything like it. It's just seen as unpatriotic in the eyes of a certain group of people, um, mainly white people. But I didn't see the same kind of outrage toward the killing of Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, Trayvon Martin, Freddie Gray, black boys and, and men. And Sandra um, Bland. Yes, yeah, so Sandra Bland. These are all black folk that were killed. Um, and, and I didn't see that kind of outrage. So for me, I, I find it interesting and mostly appalling, personally. Okay. Yeah, I think um, that as we're dealing with this new awareness, or this, I guess a better way to say it would be a reawareness of racism in America, that if someone in a position of visibility wants to protest in this way, they have that right. That's what our country was founded on that we can disagree and that we can have different positions. And this isn't the first time this has happened in our nation's history. Mm-mm. People used to do this back in the day. I mean, <laughs> if you can go to even Muhammad Ali. There, are, But I wonder about his position as the greatest of all time as a boxer versus Kaepernick. And I, I do wonder about, I mean, I'm sure people want, you know, he got hate mail, uh, Muhammad Ali, and beyond hate mail, death like threats as well. Yeah, he's, so you got, now we're at a place where you know, pluralistic reigns, you can do it, but it's definitely frowned upon in a way where people are losing endorsements and you got people even it's a Brandon Marshall here in Denver. I mean he's he's losing stuff here. And all so, I've seen in my feed yeah. about that is people going, he got what he deserved and I'm like, from my perspective, that's so you're so ignorant of what is going on around this issue to to equate losing a deal with some athletic company versus the the equality of the people in our country and how they are able to live their lives or not live their lives. And it's, it's funny you mention uh, Muhammad Ali because I think most white people see Muhammad with a sense of affinity, but it, it, we can't ignore the fact that there's a point in history where he could no longer speak because he used to speak against Racism. discrimination and... And these same kinds of issues that have been brought to the surface again. And same with MLK, I guess, which we'll talk about later, potentially. Yeah. I mean, so Trent Dilfer here, had, he's, by the way, for you non-football people, won a Super Bowl, is now an NFL analyst. And he said, no matter how passionate you are, no matter how much of a burden you have for social issues, you don't let it get in the way of the team. Hey, I grew up playing sports. It was all about the team. Right? There's no I in team. Of course, we would always say, well, there's me if you rearrange it, you know. But it's true, like, team sports. Um, it's not just you. It's it's your um, your comrades. It's your, your boys around you. I mean, this was, growing up, it was ingrained within you. You. So, Dilford, does he have a point? Do you think that he's, I mean, he's, he's a white man speaking. I'm curious what you all think about Our Our... Uh, Kaepernick's teammates mad at him sorry I don't I haven't been following it close enough to know have they voiced their dissent to this uh, I'm not sure if, if there are some that disagree with them but the coach the, I mean it's kind of like what, whatever your coach says and the players kind of follow in the coach is fine with it it's his decision you, you know it's not it's not that big of a deal other players around the league are voicing their opinion Right, he's not, you know, he's not burning a flag or, you know, doing anything to, like that. He's not taking an opposite stance. He's just taking a very empathetic stance with it, which, 
it's it's a very us versus the mentality with patriotism, and uh, I mean that's evident throughout all of history. This is just one more example of that. It's it's created so much so much emotion, so much uh, whether it's positive, negative, whatever. There's just so much emotion going on with this. And he's not having to do a lot to create that. He's, in fact, having to do nothing to create that. Which is kind of, you know, a, a statement in and of itself in terms of how our society treats this. And I think we have to recognize, too, that the response that he's getting for this is seems to be really um, weighing heavy compared to the response that one of our presidential candidates is getting for saying way worse things and doing way worse things and threatening people and making kids scared to go to school because they don't know if they'll get to come home or not. Uh, and so I think, I think there's something there in our uh, culture as a country. You're so mad at one person standing up for 102 deaths, but you're not mad about somebody who wants to exclude entire populations of people from being part of our country. that That's backwards. And there's irony, too. I mean, with, with a certain campaign in our country about making America great again, <laughs> the one who shall not be mentioned, protesting, I mean, that whole campaign is a protest. The Bernie campaign was a protest. protest. And nobody seemed to have issues with, I mean, yeah, we have issues with both campaigns, I'm sure. But it's different. Like, that's acceptable, but this is not. And I wonder why. And this is such a traditional form of protest. Uh, to either abstain from something, whether it be food or participation. Those are things that have been going on for decades. And, I mean, he's, he's doing what his heart feels like he needs to do, and that's what, what we've created in this country is a space where you can do that. Yeah, and let's get real about protest. It's supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. Right, absolutely. Well, and this is unique too. It's it's not like a lot of people decide to sit out in various places. Whenever they whenever they do sit out from you know anything that's patriotic, it makes headlines or it causes all sorts of controversy. Um, what a lot of people have, at least in in the the, the, the people that I'm I'm familiar with, um, my family from the past, they they view a lot of these things as attacks on police, even you know, because a lot of these these deaths that have come up have resulted in kind of a, not, 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 not really a demonization, but a feeling of demonization against police. And uh, in the worst case, it actually has resulted in people actually, you know, going up and attacking them outright, killing a few of them. And while that's an isolated case, and I'm not trying to say that that's, that's symbolic towards the whole thing, or that the, that the movement in and, of, in and of itself isn't justified, that appeals to that sort of us versus the mentality with patriotism, because... You have people coming up and saying, well, you're you're going against our soldiers, you're going against our, our, our local officers, you're, you're going against those people that are saving us just by doing this one thing. Even if what you're doing is nothing. You're not on the boat, you're rocking it. Mm-hmm. And that, that is demonized in and of itself. I find it interesting how far people are willing to take it, right? They have but this, this case of somebody refusing to do what is socially acceptable during a song. And then they extrapolate it. As far as saying that they don't support our troops or something like that, and it's interesting what leaps people are willing to make. Not that I agree or disagree with any of that, but it's interesting. Yeah. And in, I, th- I think as of 2000, or before 2009, correct me if I'm wrong, you're the, 
the bigger football fan, right? But I think before 2009, players didn't even walk out to the field during the national anthem. I think they stayed in the the locker room, you know, still getting ready. I've got a neighbor who has this, it's not even a conspiracy theory. He pointed it out the other day as we were watching <laughs> football, and he said, the NFL is owned by America. And I, and I was like, what do you mean? And then we went through every sport, you know, baseball, hockey, the whole nine yards. And then we, we sat there and we watched the unfolding of the flag in the military, and it was like, whoa. Like, I never, because it's just, a, you know, it's, it's that sort of unconscious bias thing. Like, I'm just, I just watch football, and I don't think about this. Yes, you stand, you have the national anthem in every sport, but, dude, with the NFL lately, it's become very much more America. It is a, it is a salute. It is a, you know, versus, like, yeah, it's just what we do in sports, you know, so. Right. And what what's crazy is how, not just with the Colin Kaepernick incident, but I think it, it reveals the general trend of white America to blur the lines between uh, an innocent patriotism, which you can get from sports, right? You can root for your team at the Rio Olympics or whatever, and nationalism. And mm-hmm. that's how we see the rise of guys like Donald Trump. I'll say his name. And um, Voldemort. Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> and and I've, it's, it's disturbing how, how people have blurred the lines and even equated nationalism with patriotism. Yeah, with often with Christianity, if we're being honest. Like, I think I I have been in groups of Christians where this would not only be a political stance that he's taking and and downplaying America, but it would also be just the testament of how secularism has infected our culture that we would, you know, stand in the face of a Christian America in this way. Um, let's just remember that MLK was a preacher and standing up for those that were being oppressed was primary to what he was doing. Okay, so let's bring MLK in, and we'll do this in the context of Coach Davo Sweeney, who's the head coach of the Clemson Tigers, and he was asked about Kaepernick's decision not to take a knee at a press conference, and his press conference went viral, and I saw so many people on Facebook posting it saying, uh, these are words of wisdom, this is good, this is kind, this is what Christians should be doing. And so uh, Sweeney was, he was asked the question, would you discipline a player like Kaepernick? And he carefully said, no, I would not. So he starts off, um, you know, saying everybody has the right to do what they, you know, they feel like they should do. And, you know, it's a free country and you can protest if you want, which was great. And then he continued the conversation to say, you know, he would probably advise against it. It's not what he would do. And he talked more about kind of what Trent Dilfer earlier, you know, he, he kind of exploded. Um, Sweeney did so more kindly. He didn't explode. But he did talk about the team and he talked about the morale and, you know, that the goal of the team is to win and to stay together. And one person can take you off that mission. And, and then he bring, but then he brings up Martin Luther King and, and he brings up his faith. And Sweeney is, is a Christian, and he talks about loving God, and he talks about loving your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, it, that, I, I love hearing that. Yeah, love God, love your neighbor. That's, that's, those are the two greatest commandments. So I would agree with him probably, like, out of, out of context. But then he brings in the context of Martin Luther King and talking about having a timely protest, protest and doing it because, you know, he uses MLK's nonviolent, uh, but, yeah, active response and, and protest and yet, we have this other, 
Well, it's the real story, right? It's the real story of Martin Luther King. Why do people like Dabo Sweeney, whether you agree with him or not, um, and this happens a lot, make these comments about Martin Luther King, post memes on Facebook, love your neighbor, you know, MLK Day comes around and the whole Facebook's flooded with all of his compassionate and good nonviolent stuff. But nobody talks about quotes such as this one here, where MLK says, the evils of capitalism are as real as the evils of militarism and the evils of racism. All right. No, that's not going to get a lot of love on Facebook. <laughs> so it, it seems as if maybe Sweeney, while he said some things that I, I would agree with, uh, maybe he misses the point. I mean, what do, what do you think about, I know you, did, you didn't follow, you know, the Clemson Tigers and the press conference and whatnot, but it, if you go on Facebook, you'll see it. Why are those posts going viral? And what's, um, what's really the heart of that? Well, there, there are a lot of, there are some writers that would argue that part of that is just the systemic oppression of black America and the, the interpretation and the narrative that we have built around it in order to continue to justify these behaviors. And so if I can use Martin Luther King to back up my position that then still continues to uh, oppress and deny rights to others, then clearly I understand the situation because of whom I'm quoting. And I think we have to recognize that that kind of bias exists, that it is part of a lot of our experience. I mean, if you haven't studied Martin Luther King and his life and have a clear understanding of what he did, you, you need to be careful about that because we need to be able to, you know, with knowledge, say, um, I'm honoring this person for what he did. And his family was threatened, his life was threatened because he was black and he wanted freedom for African-Americans. Um, and we don't we don't get out of that just because we can quote him and use it the way that we want. Yeah. Right. I don't I don't necessarily think a lot of this has to do with um, with race necessarily. It's 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 the matter of protest that's happening. It's it's about confirmation bias. It's it's I mean it's still a bias. I'm not arguing that it isn't. But a lot of people get really offended whenever you call up whenever you bring up how race plays into this because they don't view themselves. And perhaps rightfully so, as as being uh, subjected to race whenever it comes to this this discussion, that in and of itself is is a whole another talk. But what's going on here is that there's there's a there's a core argument that you can use that appeals to the argument that you're trying to make in terms of the context where it has to do with race without having to say I care about race because you're using MLK, and he's making quotes. Yeah, at certain times and in, in certain contexts that, you know, if you explore further, maybe they don't hold true. But you can use them to confirm what you think and how you feel. And that's what we all do. We, whether we like it or not, we, I mean, we're doing it right now. We're, we're, we have certain opinions and we're going to approach certain contexts, certain ways because of that. And there's not, nothing that we can do to really help that. Uh, being knowledgeable of the situation, like you were saying, definitely helps with that. But it's, it's it's an ongoing battle, and in terms of how society approaches this, because it's not about an individual, it's about society and about the hive mind, right? About how we all interact together on social media and how opinions get floated to the top and we all kind of jump on board, and we all do it, whether we like it or not. We all do that with some things. That's that's a deeper issue that, that really speaks to us as, as, you know, in terms of our humanity. And this is, this is the product of that. We, this is where we are as a society. 
we're not able to differentiate between someone just not being active on our side versus being against us in terms of patriotism or racial issues. And it might be because those issues are, maybe, because those issues are such a hot topic that it's hard to box them into something that's logical without throwing a lot of emotion in there. And whenever you throw all that emotion in there, you have so much more weight that's based on all sorts of biases, and it's hard to get away from. I don't know that we're capable of discussing this outside of that kind of context. Well, I disagree. I think that we know what unconscious bias is. We can name it. I have a whole chart that has hundreds of biases and once we have awareness of them it's our responsibility to fight them even if that's only in a one-on-one setting or when i'm having a discussion even if it's hard for me to admit that that bias is there it is my responsibility to fight it and that may not change society it may not make a difference in my lifetime but it is my responsibility to be part of this human discussion that we're having. I totally agree with that. I think it's your responsibility, too. I just don't think that you're going to be able to, or any of us are going to be able to make a large imprint on society in terms of that. It's something that has to progress naturally, and there's going to be a lot of bumps, a lot of nastiness along the way, and that, that sucks, to be blunt. But, um, and I do agree that it's our responsibility to do that. I just think that ignorance plays a huge part in this, and there's, it's really hard to combat that. Yeah. But I think part of what we're doing here tonight is combating that. Woo. In that we're, well, we're putting it out there and we're having the conversation that maybe a lot of people would be uncomfortable having, but it needs to be had, and it needs to be out there and be available so that we can start thinking about it. Yeah. yeah. And I'd like to read this quote from MLK since white people like to use him so much. (laughs) This is a letter, this is his letter from a Birmingham jail. I must confess that over the past few years I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block and his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klan, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical, mythical concept of time, who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. And this is... Convenient. Yeah. And... I find this is extremely relevant to today's topic because there's so many times, and I've had this conversation with my coworkers, that they complain about how black people protest. Mm. They say, oh, it's too violent, it's too this, too that. And here comes Colin and takes a knee. And all hell breaks loose. So there's no winning, right? There's no winning. They can protest in various ways and someone's going to be mad and someone's going to think that there's a better way, or they might think that even taking a knee is somehow violent. And Well, and that's, I mean, here's another example, take it out of race into feminism. Hillary Clinton has pneumonia, and I saw people complaining about she has no common sense. No, it's called gender bias. If she tells people she's sick, then they see her as weak. Mm. If she doesn't tell them, then she's a liar, and let's talk about who's really the liar in this election and then three if she um if she continues 
to like push through it, then she just doesn't have the ability to make good decisions. Like there's no winning. It didn't matter what she did in that situation. Uh, the culture is going to name it as something negative. And I think that that's what we're seeing here. He takes a knee. It's nonviolent. It's a normal, good way to make a statement and a protest. And he can't win. Um, it, there's there's just no good answer. Yeah, and then, of course, he's getting stuff thrown at him like, well, he's privileged. And, you know, he was adopted by white parents, which I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, he's missing the point again. Hashtag missing the missing point. Missing the point. Uh, but, you know, you... You could come up with all kinds of examples of he's getting everything thrown at him because then I, I so I begin to wonder okay so I speculate what if this was I don't know um, trying to think of a player okay so Peyton Manning yeah but I'm gonna I'm gonna think about no I'm gonna, somebody else somebody else because Peyton Peyton's a golden boy uh, some so Cam Newton okay there you go <laughs> this is no I and I, I choose him because Peyton and Cam were often compared and contrasted quite a bit. Cam's flashy, Cam showboats, he dances, nobody likes that, you know. And, and again, like, he's he won the MVP last season. He, he, was, he was the best player in the National Football League. He went to the Super Bowl. And lost. And he lost. <laughs> and he lost, yeah, yeah. Uh, if Cam takes a knee, now Cam's black, okay? That's why I used it as an example. Um, what are people going to say? Peyton, so Peyton, right? I mean, I think we, it's obvious that Peyton, Peyton wouldn't do it, but if Peyton, if Peyton did it, you know, um, I don't know. I think people, um, because he has power and privilege, they might be like, oh, what's Peyton doing? Mm-hmm. And I wonder if Cam did it, because Kaepernick's a backup. He had he had his moment. He may again, but I, I, it's all like, okay. Is this about a backup role or is it about a starter? But what if the best player in the NFL last year did the same thing? And I think I think we have the same results. I think, I think we would too. I think that if, so. if if a black player versus a white player did it, they might get more of the worst of society attacking them, which would be more extreme. But yeah. it's still they're being a symbol and they're unique in that. Because there's how many players are taking a knee right now? We're talking about one. You know, there's there might be a couple, but like no, there are others. Yeah, but that's yeah. it, right? Yeah. There's how that's many? Right. How many were last year? How many were the year before that? Like there's yeah. there's it's, it's rare. It's a unique trend. Mm-hmm. And that makes them a symbol, and that makes them the uh, focal point of a lot of extreme views and a lot of emotions that are coming out against that. I think what's encouraging is I did see that Garfield High School in Seattle is taking a knee as a team, and their coach talked about how the team wanted to talk about this and have this discussion about race. And I don't know like the makeup of their team, but I think that that is actually an awesome outcome of this, that now we've got... Uh, 16, 17-year-olds that are willing to engage in the topic and have the discussion, and they're they're looking at it and going, this is something that we can change and we can impact. And I just think it's really powerful that a high school team, as a unit, you know, you talk about what's the responsibility of the team, they said we are going to protest this too. Yeah. And I think that's where change can begin to happen. And it's funny, I hear this whole thing about team and this, and I'm like, hey, at the end of the day, Football, it's a great game, and I love it, but it's a game. And lives are really, you know, that's that's what's at stake, and that's what matters. So, you know, my question would have been related to that. Has Kaepernick's decision, has it made a difference? Does this type of protest make a difference? I you think when say, high schoolers yeah. are, being, are being pressed into this discussion and having to choose, and they are choosing to say, we don't want racism in our country, that absolutely makes a difference. So can we, can we, well, can you be a protester 
and a patriot at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. But we live in a binary world where they say that you can't. They. The big they. <laughs> you, could, you could arguably see Colin's stance as patriotic. He's mm -hmm. standing for what apparently our Constitution states as our common values, you know, of equality for all people. Mm -hmm. It's it's not equality when you I mean you have the statistic of, a hundred and two unarmed black people dying five times the rate of white people. That's not equality. Mm -hmm. When you look at the economic injustices and all kinds of other stuff, and then when you see the intersection when you're not just black but you're a black woman or you're a black woman who also identifies as LGBT, it gets worse. Yeah. So I I, I can see it being patriotic. I'm not saying that's what Colin would say, but one could interpret it that way, yeah. if that's helpful. Would you say that we have a skewed version of patriotism in our country? Definitely a portion of our country does. Um, it's not everybody, but I think there's definitely people that do. I think it ignores the uh, historic version of what patriotism is, right? It was a rebellion. It was an idea that we fought for against what the norm was. You know, there were royalists. There were all sorts of sides there. Tore families apart. Uh, so, yeah, I think that, that patriotism today is the same as it's always been, though. It, it's, it's, it's always going to be the same thing as long as it exists. There's the patriot that supports our country. And it's not about supporting the people. It's not about supporting all that sort of stuff. Because that's all encompassed in the country. And maybe you're an outlier in that, but, you know, that makes you against the country is the viewpoint there. I'm not, I don't agree with that, but that's that's the viewpoint, and it's, it's easy to get on board. You need, you need a simple message like that, something that can appeal to feelings and can bring everyone on board without having to spend five minutes explaining the complexities about what a patriot really is. And whenever you say... If you're a patriot, you support America. That, that sells. And it's really easy to create a binary system in that. In fact, it's, there's no way to not create a binary system there. So I would say that, as I mentioned before, that I think there's definitely a blurring of the, of the line between, maybe actually it isn't a line, it's just a big gap between patriotism and nationalism. And I see the latter as more destructive and dangerous for any country than the former. Hmm. So let's end with a historical theological question because we were all raised in the church. <laughs> we have evolved since then. So first century Christians, they were protesters against the ancient sports arenas, uh, which not bowing down to the Caesar and the empire of Rome, all the, the everything in you know, the first century, all the sports, uh, pointed toward the kingdom, pointed toward the empire, and you had Christians saying, we're not going to do it. Uh, we're not going to bow down to what we would call an idol. Of course, ironically, Christians were the atheist of the first century. <laughs> and, well, so, what is a, what's a theological protest look like today? Is Kaepernick's a theological protest? What else would be a theological protest? What's worth protesting as a as a theologically minded person? Is is Kaepernick has he declared that he believes something? I don't. I have, I don't so we don't know. I have no clue of what he believes. He clearly believes in the liberation of black people. Right. Right. And that to me is. But in terms of theolo theology, it's all theological, it's, right? Is that what you're going to go ahead? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I want to take it that far tonight, but I would say that 
what Colin's doing and what Black Lives Matter is doing is theological. Um, a lot of Christians would disagree, but I don't care. <laughs> I also think that America is an empire. A lot of what the early Christians did before applies today. Um, I don't think there's any early Christian who would condone violence from the empire. I don't think there are very many early Christians who would have given their allegiance to Rome, not without it being a problem. Mm -hmm. And today, it's not a problem. Yeah. So we have, I remember growing up in certain cultures and clubs where it would be like, uh, God, family, country. Do you remember that? The whole like, yeah. and it was, oh, yeah. but I, I, you know, I'm, I wonder if there is a confusion with God and country. Like we would say, oh, country's third on the list, God, family, country. Is, is country, does country trump God? No pun intended. Mm -hmm. But uh, I challenge you as a pastor in middle America to take the flag out of the sanctuary. I know people that have lost their jobs for that. Mm -hmm. And that to me testifies to a grand confusion of what it means to be Christian and what it means to be American. And it's not that those two things can't coexist mm -hmm. or that they shouldn't coexist, but they are not the same thing. And so a theological, that's actually been a theological protest of people that are educated in theology is to say the flag doesn't belong in here. Um, the flag belongs, if you want it in the foyer, you want it out in the parking lot, that's an absolutely fine place for it. But, but the cross and the table of Christ, often we talk about it in Eucharist, is open to everyone, no matter what mm -hmm. their affiliation. In the Anabaptist tradition... They wouldn't even have that conversation. Right. There's no flag. Right. Why would you think of that? Yeah. <laughs> I think that today we view God and country as a society as the same thing. There's a, an active battle to get theocracy um, put into different pieces of legislation actively. You know, you have all sorts of, of idols and monuments being built up to help and... and, and proliferate Christianity throughout our society it's it's well shoot as one example like you know Bernie Sanders they were talking about attacking him because he was an atheist and he's <laughs> not even a public atheist he's probably just secular but uh, that's that's how our society is right now you have God and country and they're the same thing and if you separate those you're you're attacking America you're attacking families you're attacking the soldiers our police everything about it and you're attacking God so what are you at that point? And if you don't think that what Janelle talked about is a problem, if you have a Christian flag, which is a whole other thing, I, I'm not for it, having a Christian flag, but if you have a Christian flag outside of your church, I dare you to swap those. Put the Christian flag above the American flag and see if it's a problem. Mm -hmm. And that will just, that'll expose all of your congregation's feelings and society's feelings, you might get it from the neighborhood, what is this, the American flag should be at the very top. And that's just kind of a challenge to those who don't think it's a, an issue. And it's polarizing. Yeah. There will be people that will praise you for that, and there will be people that, that, that attack you for that. Although I think that the people that attack you for that will be hesitant at attacking the Christian flag in and of itself. The people praising it will be saying, well, of course the American flag goes down here. It's less than God. You won't hear the office arguments readily. That's not what I've experienced, but that may happen. Yeah, I mean, it's right. Jesus was a protester. 
Uh, he protested his own temple system. He got him on a cross. I mean, that there's a subversive element there to once theology. If you can't see that there's a political statement in the cross, um, maybe do some historical research. But so in this in this conversation, this could sound to, too many if you're still listening, very left, and for others, it's not left enough. And we're okay with that. Um, no one here, and I can hopefully, I don't know if I can speak for you, you can say, no, Ryan, don't speak for me. <laughs> we're, not, we're not saying, like, down with the nation, down with America. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I think all of us would say we actually love our country. Yes. And, but it's our country that gives us the freedom yes. to talk about what it means to protest well. Yeah. And you had to say that. Yeah, <laughs> the fact that you had to say something. It does. I, you know, you know, I, I want, it's my apologetics coming out. I'm like, oh, my people pleasing self. But I, I do know I, I've had people ask me before because I've I've written a lot of blogs about first century Judaism within Jesus as a rabbi and a Messiah figure, and they kind of come across when I bring a full circle as like, well, Ryan, you you don't seem to be a, like a, an American. You know, and it comes across that way, and I so I that's why I'm like I'm being apologetic. I'm like, no, like I actually I love I love America. I love this country. There's so much about this country that is brilliant and amazing, and progressive, and can move um, move us all forward. But to confuse the God and country thing, that's uh, well, we could have a part two on that one. Yeah, and to confuse uh, patriotism and nationalism, right? Yeah, you have to be able to critique your own country as much as you love it. If you really love it, you'd want it to be better. Yes. Yeah. For sure. All right. Last last question and then we're going to end. Colin Kaepernick. Are we cheersing him tonight? For sure. For cheers. sure. Cheers. Meh. Oh, <laughs> you got to have the dissenting voice. I'll, I'll still cheers, but uh, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the beauty of all things pop theology. <laughs> Those are empty glasses. All right. Make sure, <laughs> make sure you go to Facebook. Like us. If, even if you didn't like that podcast, hey, like us anyway. Go to iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Podbean, Pocket Cast. Rate us. Give us a five-star rating. Holla! And go to the Twitter, the Twittersphere, brew underscore theology. Also, Instagram is at brew theology. If you want some cool swag, send me an email. Peace. <laughs>